Hi, I'm Mackenzie Loy, and welcome back to the New Majority Investor Circle. Today's guest is Jennifer Eden, co-founder and CEO of Tampon Tribe, a plastic-free feminine care brand that provides sustainable hygiene products. We are really excited for this episode where we get to hear an update from one of our past featured founders on where they're at post-raise, post-equity crowdfunding campaign, um, and provide a unique update to those that are within the new majority investor circle that became investors in Tampon Tribe. So we featured Jennifer and Tampon Tribe in the October 2022 edition when we were doing monthly newsletters. And at that point, I think you guys were going into your final sprint of the equity crowdfunding campaign on WeFunder. So we're excited to share an update on that campaign. You guys closed successfully, right? November of 2022, raising over 650,000 from over 550 investors. And just for all of our listeners, we are recording this at the end of March, 2023. So a full quarter post-raise. And thank you, Jennifer, for joining us. We're really excited for this conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. It's great to be back here and and hopefully provide some insights and updates to everybody uh, as we move forward. Excellent. All right. So before we launch into that update, which we're really excited for, um, for newer members of the new majority investor circle or, or new subscribers, um, I did a little description of, of Tampon Tribe, but could you give us your 30 second elevator pitch on Tampon Tribe? Well, you got it pretty much right. So Tampon Tribe is a 100% certified organic cotton and plastic-free period products company. So we um, sell primarily tampons, pads, liners, also menstrual cups and period underwear. And we're an omni-channel business. So we sell B2B, D2C, we sell wholesale into retail, and we also sell on Amazon. And as you mentioned, we're um, kind of in the middle of our raise, but we wrapped out the wrapped up the crowdfunding portion of that and happy to chat more about it. Um, but we've had really great, great growth metrics. Um, you know, in the six years that we've been open, we've grown on average 486% year on year. And we just hit a $2 million um, revenue run rate in December. So a very exciting year ahead. And, and we've got some great brands that we sell into um, Fairmont, Pixar, Postmates and what have you, great retailers, and of course, some great um, D2C clients. Amazing. Okay. So I definitely want to go into the update. I also definitely will want to go into where the campaign sat in the equity crowdfunding campaign sat in the, the larger fundraise. Um, but before we jump into that, I want to talk a little bit from the business model perspective. I, I think you just mentioned like three or four different, you know, different customers, different channels, different products. And so I wanted to hear a little bit more maybe about why you've chosen kind of why it's omni-channel, why there are so many different customer segments, um, different products, and how you guys have thought about that from a strategy standpoint that led you to this today. And then kind of where are you seeing a lot of growth and where are you going to double down? Is it with, for example, airlines, Ritz-Carlton, um, big brands like that versus the D2C versus maybe Amazon, which is in and of itself like its own you know, category? 
Yeah, we, we've always kind of um, come to business with a very narrow focus, yet an omni-channel, um, I guess, approach. So we began Tampon Tribe with a D2C model uh, and very quickly identified the B2B opportunities. So we've been selling into yoga studios, spas, gyms, small businesses, pretty much since the first year or so uh, after we began. Um, and we've also sold in, started selling into retail uh, at that time too, primarily for a marketing play. You know, how can I? How can we get our products in front of a ton of people without having to pay for it? Well, put them on retail shelves, right? Yep. So that's how that started. And of course, Amazon uh, more recently as that's grown and changed our uh, consumer landscape. But for us, uh, B2B is huge. So our big differentiator as a period product company is that we're the only company in the US to be totally plastic free and sustainable, as well as being GOTS and ICEA certified. So these are really large points of difference for our company. And it enables us to secure these really great B2B accounts, because they're also looking to partner with businesses such as ours. So they're all on sustainable missions. They don't want plastics coming into yeah. their business, workplace, the environment, right? Mm -hmm. So that's huge for us. We're really working and we just put on a new uh, business development manager, which is super exciting for us, big, big step, um, who is working primarily on those accounts. Um, however, our D2C is also important. So is retail and so is Amazon. But it's always that, what's the low-hanging fruit in the business? Uh, with a CPG company, you always have to look at cash flow. You know, we have to buy our inventory before we sell it. So how do we always keep ahead of that? And the B2B is a great play because of the caliber of customers we already have and the product market fit that we have with those customers. So we continue to push that. And then our Q3, Q4 strategy moves more into our D2C and Amazon lines. Got it. Okay. So right now the focus is more on the B2B side and then towards the end of the year. And, the, and I'm assuming that that kind of helps from that cash flow perspective, right? The, the big contracts. Got it. And, yeah. and a quick overview of different business models as we've just thrown around a lot of acronyms. So D2C is direct to consumer, B2B is business to business, B2C would be business to consumer. And the type of business model that a company will choose oftentimes depends on the company's product, their go-to-market strategy, and oftentimes growth plans. So you can have one company start as a B2C and is doing okay, but once they switch or add on B2B, you know, that could be where the company then takes off. It doesn't always have to be B2C or B2B, but you'll see a lot of these acronyms thrown around and oftentimes now a combination of multiple business models. Okay. Okay. I love that. I think a lot of times, a lot of the companies that we see have a really, really narrow focus where they'll start with one thing and then start to expand from there. So it's really exciting to hear. I think you guys are do have that, that narrow focus. At the same time, there's so many things that are going on. And But I like kind of the, hearing a little bit of that strategy on it's not just kind of whack-a-mole, but it's thinking what's going to help with that. Oh, 
Yeah, they, they very much work together. It's not random in any way. And you also have to look at the current market. You know, there is so much in flux right now, mm-hmm. not just in the banking and the financials, but in the consumer. Look what happened yeah. over COVID. If you have to be agile, mm-hmm. in my opinion, you know, myself and my business partner, we've worked together for 16 years now, and we've both been in business individually for, for nearly gosh, give away my age, at least 30 years each. So, you know, for us, that's what we bring to the business Mm -hmm. is a really seasoned approach of being entrepreneurs. We're not from the MBA side of business. We have a couple of people on our team who are, but but we really on the ground and we get things done and we run a lean business with a positive ROI on pretty much everything we spend. So, and that's just how the company has has shaped. But yes, it has to be strategic and you, you have yeah. to look at, you know, where you're doing it and how, how it all works in together for sure. Okay, so there's so many things I want to kind of dig into there, but before yeah. we do, I want to hear a little bit more on, on the update side from, One, I would love to hear you mentioned about where kind of the equity crowdfunding campaign fit into your larger fundraising strategy and and kind of raise. So I'd love to hear about that. And then I'd love to hear a little bit more about the actual campaign now that it's closed, kind of what, how long it ran, what did you consider as a success, any lessons learned, especially knowing that this wasn't the first crowdfunding campaign uh, that you guys have launched. So a lot of questions in there. So the first, let's step into kind of where the campaign sat within the larger fundraise. Sure. Well, actually, this this raise, we raised 380000 So that total that you're talking about includes all of our raises. Okay. Um, uh, we fund it. So we raised about three eighty, which was pretty close to what we were hoping to um, on the equity crowdfunding channel. We are raising a total of one5 so, you know, it's a good, it was definitely a good start. Uh, nice market validation for some of the other investment groups that we've kind of got circling and in due diligence right now. And we've actually just opened up a bonds raise on SMBX. I saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really exciting platform as well. As a quick interlude, here at The New Majority, we focus on equity crowdfunding. And a part of why I like equity crowdfunding is that it focuses on ownership. So even if it's super small or fractional, you now have ownership within the company. And depending on the size of ownership, you know, if it is a big portion, this can actually give you a voice within that company and their direction. But I also like it as an early, younger investor, right? This may be your first private equity uh, investment within a company. And so having just a little piece of ownership within that company gives you a starting place to learn where you can learn about the company, how they operate, and that will better equip you to make your next investment, your third investment, and really build your own portfolio of private companies and startups. Now, that being said, giving away equity or investing in equity can be risky for both the startups as well as the investors. So another way uh, to bring capital into a company is through bonds, right? And this is a debt financing tool. This is where the company's founders and owners will get to maintain 100% ownership, um, but still raise capital in a way that is beneficial for both sides of the table, the investor and the founder. And from an investor perspective, anyone who is a debt owner gets paid back sooner than someone who is an equity owner, right? So overall, this makes your investment a little bit less risky. It could also help you diversify your portfolio 
where you are investing in private companies and maybe you want a combination of equity and debt uh, to diversify not just in companies and in founders, but also in the actual financing tool. So if you like Tampon Tribe and you missed out on the chance or didn't want to assume kind of that level of risk with the equity uh, ownership, you can still invest in Tampon Tribe through their bonds raise on SMBX. So for us, for a few reasons, we do look at always diversifying where um, we are generating investment and how much equity versus how much debt we're getting into as a company. So we try and approach that with um, a measured view. Yeah, the equity crowdfunding is always interesting. It's um, it's a good landscape. We love the fact that our community, we focus business. You know, the name is Tampon Tribe. That's what we're all about. We love that our community gets involved. And we love that support of everybody in the community. And hopefully we can really benefit the community too because we're growing the company. So, you know, we really look at it as a symbiotic um, move. Uh, The equity crowdfunding landscape has definitely changed a lot uh, since we first started raising. We were one of the first companies ever to do a Reg CF raise when we funder first started. And that was, gosh, I guess six, six years ago, I think. And it was new then, you know, people weren't sure what it was about. But at the same time, there weren't too many companies doing it. So, you know, you had that, what's happening? Hey, let's get involved. Now you have a lot of companies in the space and a lot of platforms in the space there as well. So you really have to work hard with your marketing. You always have had to. You know, equity crowdfunding is a lot of work. It's no less work than raising uh, venture money. You have to do the same or if not more. You are on calls with investors every day. You are, you know, answering questions, you're doing your marketing, you're doing your outreach on a daily basis. It's another full-time job. Um, Yeah, I think it's great. And and as I say, we're really excited about SMVX now because that's a very different product. That's debt financing through bonds. And it's where investors can definitely see a short-term gain, you know, for at a high rate for um, the money that they put in. And and there's no equity play in that. It's, It's just debt. Um, financing. And that's also part of the 1.5 kind of broader fundraising. Correct. Yeah, correct. Because for us, um, it really is having that cash flow. You know, we can't keep up with the demand right now. And people will say, well, what about, you know, the profits you're making for that? Yeah, but that doesn't get realized for six or eight months in the CPG space, particularly with large contracts, you know, so you'll be working on a contract, say from November last year, that's not getting delivered until May. Right. Yeah. Then you don't delayed payment terms too, as well. Well, then you have sixty day net on that. Yeah. So you know you're literally putting deposits for inventory down in September, October, November, and you're not getting that paid until nearly a year after. So you just need to be balancing. You know it's coming. There's no problem. But at the same time, you have to buy things. We have to have inventory here in the warehouse and, you know, have operations um, of the business. So I think for us that debt play is definitely a good, you know, a good option for that. Uh, we have some angel money that's come into the round as well. Um, and then we're in due diligence with a couple more. So yeah, we, we're getting close to closing it and it's all great, great movement for us. Amazing. Okay. Two questions. So one for the raise that was on WeFunder, do you have a sense of what the percentage of the investors were customers versus possibly suppliers or kind of broader network? 
Yeah, a lot of our um, investors this round were previous investors. Um, and that's why we, one of the reasons we did it, because, you know, you have some fantastic people that backed us when we were just an idea. Yeah. You know, and so we wanted to make sure that we could give an opportunity for everyone who got in negative day one, you know, to be part of the company now. It's very important for us to do that. So a lot of investors that were already in the company, a lot um, of new friends and family that have come into, you know, the team's lives over the last few Mm -hmm. years, which was very exciting. Customers as well. And also people that are familiar with investing in equity. So we this this round, we did a lot of outreach on uh, LinkedIn, we use, you know, a lot of software that helps identify investors that would be interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a good blend. I don't know the exact percentages, to be honest, but a good mix. But most people very interested in investing, becoming first-time investors or seasoned equity or just, um, you know, uh, qualified um, investors. Yeah, and that's something that we see on on WeFunder and a lot of the equity crowdfunding platforms is folks will come because their friend or someone they know, right? So they come for that reason. And I'm always really interested. And I think from the new majority investor circle, we want to come for that friend, but then we want to stick around for, you know, the possibly new friends, right? Um, And other companies that are raising that maybe align from, again, new majority founder perspective, mission perspective, um, and are really kind of those active or repeat investors through platforms. Totally. And and I think being on those platforms too and um, gives you just a great opportunity to interact with, with every investor. And, you know, a lot of people who might reach out and say, hey, I can't do it this year. And this year is tough for a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty in people's jobs. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, had quite a few investors reach out saying, look, we have the money, but we don't know if we're going to have our job in two months. So we just right. can't risk that. Holding right on to it for now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But keep us up to date. And so, you know, we did this. It was funny. We did a um, really cool, like, investor call like a webinar I'm like no one's going to come like who's going to listen to that right so many people came and they loved it and we thought oh this is awesome it's something we're going to be doing more regularly and it really opened our eyes that we have these just fantastic investors and supporters you know and that's huge boost you know I think for a business that's growing you you need that because you're you're kind of tirelessly working away and it's so great when people say no we're here (laughs) you know and we want to get involved Okay, so on that note, um, thinking about like from that investor update, you've done multiple uh, crowdfunding campaigns before. Um, a lot of the new majority investors circle, you know, is coming because they're they're angel curious, right? Um, and so you might be the first company that they've invested in. So what's kind of the expectation um, as far as updates and and maybe kind of what would be like your Q1 first quarter post campaign update for investors? Yeah, well, because we only just closed the round recently, you know, we've been updating investors pretty much on a weekly basis. So what really happens on a monthly or quarterly or six monthly annual basis is we send out a newsletter. We're open to calls. I have my calendar open all the time. A lot of investors like to just touch base for 15 minutes. More than happy to do that. Some for a lot longer, also happy to do that. Most people are just really happy to be on our mail out, see the updates as we grow and also see what the company's doing the new products we're launching uh they see us on a a new shelf they're like wow that's awesome you know and then you know they also want to know how they can help and for us it's always the same is just sharing the name of the company and the options and products that we do with their colleagues with the workplace they're in who's providing 
period products in their bathroom in the office mm-hmm. at their gym, at their yoga studios. Like those little connections are huge. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it. They're like, oh, and they're not going to, founders aren't going to want to hear from me or it's just the local gym. Believe me, it makes a huge difference when yeah. like you say 500 people get in touch with their local gym and we start having them as customers. Huge. And it also grows the, the company and their investment. I love that. Yeah. And I always think about from an equity crowdfunding perspective, right. And you're putting in maybe a hundred, 200 or whatever you can, right. Within this company, but it's also now you're an investor. You are part of the team. Like I am incentivized to help you, you know, win as much as possible, not just because I'm an investor, but also theoretically, right. Like I believe in you and I believe in the mission. So I love that. So to all of our listeners out there, if you've got a gym or a coffee shop or a yoga studio or Pilates, whatever, and you know, they're offering period products. Here's your call, right? Call out to uh, to Jennifer and, and make a connection. Yeah, thank you. That's great. I mean, and, and so it's so great then too, because often those studios are really looking for something like that too. And I think that's where it's hard for us to sell ourselves sometimes that, like, oh, I don't want to interrupt or I don't want them to think I'm selling something, but often they're looking for what you've got. And they're like, oh my God, that's awesome. You know, thank you. So you're actually mm-hmm. doing them a service. Not always a hard sell. Um, It's really funny. It's so easy to sell somebody else's interest or product. But when you're involved, you kind of suddenly have this, oh, I don't know if they'll like it feeling, but just do it. You've got nothing to lose. That and also when you think about just, you know, how many years that I, you know, have and will be using menstrual products, right? And I'm trying to reduce my plastic of like single use plastics and what's in the house and hadn't really thought about that until we featured Tampon Tribe of like, I'm literally putting that in my body, you know, maybe it doesn't make a difference if I'm trying to reduce all these other plastics when every month I'm putting something in my body. So yes, yeah, I absolutely think it's not your it's, it's, you know, it is a service that a lot of folks are looking for or would be looking for if they had kind of that moment of realization or that education, because it's just something, you know, a lot of the period products that we use, it's, it's passed on from your mother or your friends, right? And sometimes you don't really talk about things, but when you start to, you're like, oh my goodness, I need yeah, to yeah. drive. <laughs> and that's why it's so great, you know, with social media as well, because people are suddenly looking at product um, across a range of all consumer products and saying, hey, yeah. what's in this? And they look on the back, they're like, what? I don't know what that is. And I don't. It says organic. It's got titanium dioxide in it. Yeah. Because it's just got the word organic on the pack. That's it. You know, and same with the plastic. It's huge. Right. And you don't think about it. You try and, like you said, reduce waste in all areas. Mm -hmm. And then you have this little tampon applicator, which has the shortest use life of any single use plastic on the planet. 7 billion end up in landfills every year in the US and 10 billion plant-based pads. So, sorry, plastic-based pads. Not planning on reusing it, but it also makes me think, maybe it shouldn't be plastic to begin with, right? <laughs> totally. And it's changing. It's changing. You know, a lot of the, even the big box stores now are changing mm-hmm. the products they're putting in because they have plastic zero emissions as they should. So it's exciting for us. <laughs> okay. I think this goes into where I wanted to go as far as like, I think that, you know, interest and the market is really only going to increase for the products that that you're offering. And I also love that it's not just tampons, right? Like we're kind of broadening to a wider range of anything that someone would need during kind of that time of the month. Right. Um, And so I also think it's really exciting from like 
we've talked about kind of a little bit from the financial side, but also what you were saying from like a sustainability, from like a climate, like environment mission driven side. And so I'm also thinking about even if it's a really exciting space, I do feel like there's a lot of growing competitors within this space as maybe existing manufacturers or existing companies or new companies kind of try to come in. So thinking about how does Tampon Tribe differentiate itself, especially when, you know, I'm in like CVS, for example, and you're just looking at like all of the products that are offered. How do I differentiate between like what's really organic versus says it's organic and is a little bit more greenwashing? How does Tampon Tribe stand out within this market? The way that we stand out is our main point of difference is that we are the only company in the US to only use GOTS and ICEA certified organic cotton in our tampons, pads, and liners and be totally plastic free across all of our products. I love that. And so for we, those who might not know about those certifications, do you think that there's a lot of different certifications that come out and some are maybe better than others or more well-known? So tell us a little bit more about sure. those. So GOTS is the Global Organic Textiles uh, Certification for 100% organic fabric, organic cotton in this case. So you can look at a product and it can say cotton, right? it can say organic, but read really closely what it says underneath that. Because okay. it will say, if you look closely, organic cotton cover made with organic cotton, which means there are components of that product that may have organic cotton in it. May not. Don't know. You can put whatever you like on the box. No one checks it. It's unregulated. So then you want to have a look if they have an ingredients list. Also, mm -hmm. in period products, you don't do not need to have an ingredients list. So you do not know what's in the product. So be, just read. And people are becoming more cognizant. Then you want to look at, sure, it's got an organic cotton cover. Well, what's underneath it? It's man-made fibers. It's microplastics. It's bleach. It's plastic backs. It's glue. So there's not, it can't be hypoallergenic because it has all of those components. And then look at the applicator. It's plastic. Being BPA-free doesn't mean it's not plastic. It means it doesn't have a certain chemical in the plastic, right? Mm -hmm. Or having a sugarcane derivative plastic. Still plastic. So... I think it's just everyone's waking up a little bit more now mm -hmm. to what these terms mean. For us, we are not competing directly on those shelves. So at the moment, we are in all the natural groceries where people know that the products have been vetted when they come in. Mm -hmm. Maybe not for plastics. It's moving in that direction, but definitely for the organic. Or it just says cotton. So when you're buying cotton, cotton is one of the most heavily GMO'd crops and bleach crops on the planet. Right. Mm. So it's cotton. Great. Nothing against cotton, but it's not going to be toxin free and it might not be chlorine free and 99% will not be titanium dioxide free. If it's not cotton, it's man-made materials. So it's viscose and rayon and they're, that's a man-made product. So that comes from overseas where they melt down plastics and melt down other fabrics to make a viscose. If you ever mm. want to Google viscose, how that's made, Take a look. So it's all melted down man-made materials and you're putting that literally in or on your body. Nothing's wrong with that. It's just not where we stand, mm -hmm. you know. So for us, having that mission of eliminating all toxins from period products and all plastics from the planet is in every single one of our items. So our menstrual cups are also different. We don't use silicone for a couple of reasons. We don't know what silicone does inside the body. So we use a medical grade TPE, which has been developed for heart stents and other internal medicine. That's okay. what we use. 
It's also a lot more malleable. So it's really great for active users. You know, you can do yoga and run and hike and swim. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It's also recyclable. Silicone is not. So silicone, when you change your menstrual cup every two years, it goes straight into a landfill unless you put a lot of chemicals on it to break it down. Mm. And then our period underwear um, is 100% certified organic fabrics as well and no PFAs. So no, no petroleum, no microplastics and not packaged in plastic. So all of those components are super important to us. And even looking at a tampon that might be partly organic, maybe a cardboard applicator, you want to also look well, you've got to look at the cardboard as well. That's it should be FSC certified. Um, and what the tampon is wrapped in. So mm-hmm. you have some people they're doing a partly organic cotton tampon, but it's wrapped in a plastic applicator and wrapped in plastic. Right. So does that leach out? We don't know. You know, it's it's just where we sit is the difference in how we've designed our company. And that's important to us. And a lot of for other people, having a hybrid is really important for them. But for us, that's what makes us really different. And it makes us totally different to everything else on the shelf. Um, and it's funny people say that, it, the, the competition, and it's different coming from another country where we've always had a ton of choice on our shelves in period products. But here in the US, people are used to two products. Like yep. think of what other consumer good has two products. None, right? Mm-hmm. Go, go to like any, go to the bread aisle. <laughs> like 40 different breads, you know? Yeah. But we're so used to going, whoa, wow, look at this competition. Dude, there's four brands, maybe five. That's not competition in an essential item, you know? So it's getting used to having choice on our shelves. Mm-hmm. Well, and then also educating the consumer about like now that you, there are so many choices. Well, what does that mean? Right? Yeah. yeah. And it can be, it's really daunting sometimes because we've assumed that the products on our shelves are safe. Right. No. <laughs> so having that challenged presents a whole lot of questions, right? But I thought this was FDA approved. What's FDA approved? Yeah. You buy a license with the FDA and they come and check your facility and, you know, it can't be unsanitary <laughs> you know but there there are not regulations on the materials what can and can't be used mm-hmm. I mean to a point yes of course you know it's it's not you know Rafferty's rules it, it still <laughs> has some regulation um but the boxes can say anything so just read like anything like you would pick up any product you're putting in or on your body and read the label you know you've got to do the same and so I'm thinking I love kind of this this decision is of like a hundred percent, right? We're not going to compromise with like maybe it does or maybe it doesn't, but we're, you're going a hundred percent, which means if you pick something from Tampon Tribe, you can walk away with the insurance that okay, this is um you know, does not have plastic. I know like what is in it, and it's it's proven that it's not going to harm right my body. So thinking about is that is that the big vision for Tampon Tribe if we're thinking five, 10, 15, you know, 20 years from now, kind of what is the thing that is driving you and your co-founder forward? Is it adding more products? Is it accessibility, you know, for everybody? Is it a complete reduction? No, no plastic or period products, you know, are in the landfill kind of what is, what's inspiring you? What's the big vision? Yeah, kind of a combination of, of what you, you said, you know, we like to do a few things and do them really well. Of course, we've been tempted in the past to let's take a shortcut. And what if we do? And then for a minute, 
Mm. Organic cotton is really expensive because it's so pure. And that's the other thing. You know, when you're looking at the shelves, if something's cheap, it's like anything. It's cheap, Mm -hmm. right? The materials in it are cheap. It's no one's making a ton of profit on tampons. Actually, lucky if it's a few cents. So if something is $3 retail, (laughs) <laughs> means wholesale, it's about 70 cents. So they've made that entire box for 70 cents, right? Maybe 80. What can you buy for 70 cents? Not a lot of quality. So yes, for us, Tampon Tribe is about staying 100% true to toxin-free products, 100% true to plastic-free products. That's our mission and our passion. And at the same time, to expand accessibility. And that's what we're working on this year. And through our B2B, we get to reach so many people. You know, we also have a strong give back. So for every pack we sell, we give back to homeless youth on our street here in LA. And we also have um, a nonprofit called Project Code Red, where we give to young people who don't go to school in the US when mm-hmm. they get their period. So that also fills out the mission. As we grow financially, we can help other people. And I think at this stage of my life and my co-founders' lives, that's what we're passionate about. Yes, we need to run a successful, profitable business and we're mm-hmm. driven by that. But how can we impact health, the environment and underserved communities? And, and that's what keeps us going. So yeah, we'll add um, product, not at a rapid pace. We are not like, other people in our category who want to become a superstore that's awesome for them mm-hmm. not what we're about we will be looking more in the reusable space we're looking more at um, additions and value adds that are totally natural chemical free hard thing is to put them in plastic free that's really tricky when you come to washes and to wipes housing something that's not in plastic we haven't got there on a lot of products so we haven't launched them uh because more things you're getting invented all the time but it's just difficult there's still some product inventions that have to happen for us to go there so yeah we will we will stay 100 percent true to the mission without a doubt that's what we're about awesome okay and i want to hear a little bit more about your co-founder having this vision unite uh, the two of you, I've also heard, you know, a lot of stories about co-founder counseling, right? And therapy, like you guys are are essentially married together through this business, right? So I'm just curious to hear kind of, it sounds like you guys have a really great relationship. And if I'm not mistaken, have worked together previously, right? Before founding um, mm-hmm. Tampon Tribe. So how do you nurture your relationship with yeah. co-founder? Well, we've known each other for so long. So I started working with Gabby's company when we were in Beijing in China. And that's, gosh, quite some time ago. Is it 17 (laughs) years? I can't even think about it. And so I was there and I was working as a broadcaster and in marketing and uh, she had restaurants and was looking for some better marketing. I'm like, oh, I can help you with a few things. And, you know, we worked on some strategy together. We worked really well together. We ended up opening a few businesses over there together and we know each other so well. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not to say there are not ups and downs. There definitely are. And there have been at all stage of the business relationship. And there still is every week. You know, I'm sure both of us just throw our hands up and her at me as much as I would at her. However, it's short-lived. Go for a walk. Speak your mind. Let go. Now we're back to business, you know. And because we've had that working relationship for so long and we're in our late 40s and early 50s, 
So it makes a big difference. Our egos are no longer riding alongside us. They've gone long ago. <laughs> Maybe, you know, I think, I think we, de- we definitely had more to deal with, you know, in previous businesses. Although we, we um, you know, have a really great synergy. At the moment, we're based in different countries. So I'm in Los Angeles and Gabby's in Brazil. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. So we work virtually. She'll be back in LA, I think in the next few months, but because of COVID, um, Gab's Brazilian. So she went back to be with her family and um, I stayed here and spent some time in Australia. But with technology these days, you can be everywhere. We both like to be here in LA because this is where it's all happening. So sometimes it's harder for me not to have her here and it's harder for her not to be here, but that's part of work and family and commitment. So we haven't done counselling, <laughs> maybe we should, but uh, I can understand why people might. I think you need to look at the overall picture, you know, with a co-founder. And if it's not working though, we definitely had a situation early on in our one of our businesses where there was another person on board and it just wasn't working. And it was easier to talk to him and say, look, what do you really want? And the dynamic just couldn't work. And so we bought him out of the his business, the part of the business, and everyone was happy. That's mm-hmm. definitely an option because fighting every day and, and being on different vision is mm-hmm. an issue. We've always had pretty similar visions, and that's why we opened this business together. Mm-hmm. And we saw it as an opportunity to marry our passions. So both Gabby and I grew up on the beaches. I'm from Sydney. She's from um, Sao Paulo, near Sao Paulo in Brazil. We're passionate about the environment. We spent a lot of time when we were in Asia cleaning up beaches and traveling to Southeast Asia and diving. And we always had that passion about the environment and our planet and also about health and improving lives. And, you know, we're not from wealthy backgrounds by any means however we know that we've had more opportunity than other people so we've always thought of ways how do we put all this together and we were actually walking in Venice and we saw all the plastic tampon applicators on the beaches and we're like oh my god this is America you know what is happening here and at the same time I was going through a really bad endometriosis which I've had for my whole life and I just couldn't like there's got to be a way out of this monthly insanity of pain so we kind of started researching and we saw a lot of the toxins and chemicals that were in period products that were exacerbating the issue so we're like wait a second all this synergy just came together Um, and we started researching we couldn't find products that I was looking for so we decided to create them and yeah I think we're each other's strength because Mm -hmm. you have ups and downs when you're starting a business and even at this level of the business um yeah we continue to work together and continue to go grow stronger and grow the company and I think it's a real privilege to have that and I think we both can ourselves pretty lucky even though at times we might not do so much at the end of the day it it is definitely um, sometimes what keeps it keeps it going forward I appreciate you sharing that and and it's really good to hear um you know that those stories when also specific you know tips like take a walk and but we're in it for the long haul and having that mission and vision align you both as well as you know a a a good history so that you guys know each other right and how to react and I think team is a really, obviously the founders, but like the team broadly is a really big reason of why, you know, a lot of people will invest in a, you know, professional investors, but also really important to newer or everyday investors who 
who really believe in tampon tribe, but then knowing that story and hearing kind of that history, I think really helps um, provide a little bit of comfort of who is stewarding my money, right? Totally, totally. And, and we have a lot of people that are supporting us that supported our businesses as customers in China and Beijing, which is amazing. Some of our larger investors, you know, and so it gives us so much confidence, but we work hard. And that's the other thing. And, and like I say, if you a co-founder and someone's just quitting and having a bad day, just let them have the day, you know, just stop. And then regroup in two days. Nothing's going to happen in two days. You know, arguing something through when someone's really low or really angry or whatever they are, never solved anything. Just drop it. Come back to it in two days and or, or say your piece and then, okay, we'll speak tomorrow. And that's okay. <laughs> you know? I think this is, this is co-founder advice, but I think that's also marriage advice. Marriage, yeah, and life advice. advice. <laughs> colleague advice, all of the above. Totally. And that's, that also is, though, you know, Mackenzie, a little bit of age coming into that too, right? Because we've all made those mistakes by now. We've had those arguments, we've got, not even not with each other, but, you know, in our lives. And how did that work out, right? (laughs) Be mad, say your piece, let things lie, then, you know, come back, regroup. And then if it's really, sometimes it's a real issue. And then you need to talk it through. Obviously, the fires have gone out and the emotions are gone and, and really listen to the other person. What are they really wanting? What are they really saying when they're so upset? Um, and, and how can you you help that and, and nurture it and, and be a better team? I love that. And I think that's probably what has kept you both together for, you know, through multiple things and growing the team and growing Tampon Tribe. So very excited to to have this conversation with you, Jennifer. And, and I think one final question, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, thinking, well, two final questions, I guess. So one is, you know, we often think about our investors from, from a purely financial perspective, right? Investing, investing money, but great investors can offer so much more. They can offer introductions, they can offer key skills, maybe even revenue as customers. So I wanted to ask, are there any stories or moments when investors, um, particularly we have a bent towards equity crowdfunding investors, right? But when um, those investors from past campaigns have actually reached out and been able to contribute more than their initial investment, but something afterwards. Yeah, totally. Particularly with our early investors. You know, we had a couple of really great supporters from the beginning who became part of our team. And we would host, for example, um, at Venice has a, you used to have an annual street fair here in LA and they'd come help man the booth, help at different university events, be present representing us. Our equity crowdfunder investors have definitely helped with introductions. I get them on LinkedIn. I get emails. We get partnerships. Our equity crowdfunder investors have also helped us a lot with introducing us to their workplace, to their businesses, to their young kids who are growing, to sororities. You know, it's really added value across the board for us. And you really feel that you're supported. So no matter how small it is, it makes a difference. And people often email and say, oh, look, I don't know if you're interested, but I've got this introduction. Like, yeah, let's do a call or introduce me through LinkedIn. Let's see what the synergy is. Um, Or, you know, my son goes to this school and his girlfriend is this. Great. That'd be awesome. Um, Or I have a small printing business. How can I help you with some layout and design? How can I help you with some influencing, with some strategy? 
we definitely have people who have invested who are also big CEOs and CFOs of very large companies. And to be able to take half an hour of a phone call with them blows our minds, right? And they've done it happily. People we've met through investor calls in the equity crowdfunding campaign have then set up calls with us after and go, oh my God, I think I've got this idea. Let me help you with your retail. You know, so the list goes on, but every small effort makes such a difference. Because if you imagine if all of those, what, 500 investors gave one tip or help with one thing, what tremendous growth. I love that. And so thinking those are some great examples and knowing what you had said about the the focus currently is really on the B2B and then we'll, you'll shift into Amazon and D2C towards the end of the year. So as our final, final question, thinking about the new majority investor circle members who did invest and maybe the ones who are wishing that they had invested, what is that ask right now for, for this year beyond the introductions? And, and maybe that's it, but is there a specific ask for the new majority investor circle? I think for the new majority investor circle, it would just be amazing for introductions and support. And that can come in many forms. So introducing us to your surrounding colleagues, friends, mentors, business people, um, and supporting through sharing a social post. Follow us on Instagram. It can be that simple. Share our posts on your story. You know, a little bit of that makes a huge difference. You know, shout out in LinkedIn that you're on our team. Um, All of those uh, small actions add up to a really large cumulative effect. I love to hear that. And I think our, hopefully our members will, will step up for that. We'll make sure to include um, all of the links uh, for Instagram, LinkedIn and beyond within the uh, show notes. But thank you again, Jennifer, for taking the time out of your busy day within the warehouse. We appreciate it. And we are so excited to continue to follow Tampon Tribe's growth. And, you know, hopefully we can have this conversation again in a year and it's going to say, okay, like we've done, you know, 500 times growth. What's next? And I'm here for that conversation. So thank you again, Jennifer. Fantastic, Mackenzie. Great to be here. Speak soon. Thank you, New Majority Investor Circle members and community for tuning into our episode. If you loved what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and share with another angel curious friend. A big thank you to our Investor Circle members who support our podcast. If you're not already a member, check out the show notes or go to thenewmajorityinvest.com today and join. This episode was produced by our amazing intern, Yalda Zarabi. Music created by Connor Luck.